0: Me come, me Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you cool cats and kittens, welcome back to Basketball Converts, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver, he is Mike McDaniel, and Mike, yes... We are still recording, we are still a podcast, we are still talking about football, even though none of these things have happened in any way, shape, or form since the last time we dropped a show.
1: It took you about two and a half seconds to drop your first Tiger King reference to the podcast.
0: We all gotta keep ourselves busy somehow right now, Mike, and this podcast is one of those ways. Not yes. the only way,
1: though. Correct. So, <laughs> we haven't recorded a podcast in, uh, let's ca- just call it a while. We'll mm-hmm. call it a while. Mm-hmm. Um... In length of time, if you want to think of it just like with the general time frame, um, think about what your life was like before COVID, and that's the last time we recorded a podcast. So, it's been about six weeks. Um, Our last podcast episode dropped basically right when everything started hitting the fan.
0: Hours after the Rudy Gobert positive test announcement.
1: Ivy League basketball tournament cancellations Mm -hmm. and the like. So... Right at the outset of this thing. And I'm sure we referenced COVID 19 on the last episode of this podcast. um, But I don't think you or myself was expecting to then not be able to really leave the house for six weeks. And that's kind of where we're still at today here on April 19th as we hit record, Joey.
0: Yeah. As many jokes as I made about possibly having coronavirus in like late January, early February. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's still maybe discussion to be had about, you know, that legitimacy. Like, I definitely didn't think that this was a thing that was going to be changing our entire paradigm and worldview in, like, a month after that. So Yeah, those jokes did not age well. Yeah, whoops is right. Whoops Whoops. is right. Yeah, whoops indeed. Um, Yeah, Mike, the the good news is that the last episode that we recorded and dropped uh, made sure that everybody knew good and well which XFL team they should be cheering for. And it was only days before the XFL was, like, gone. So, yeah make sure you go back and listen to that episode if you're trying to figure out which team you were supposed to have been cheering for and which team to cheer for if you've got those games DVR'd and other than that i, I don't have anything to tell you on uh on how good that episode is for you
1: at least the dc defenders gave us the vaunted beer snake in oh the stands yes. with all of their beer cups so a, a tradition unlike any other that is correct <laughs> uh speaking of which the masters has been postponed which has, yeah. really bothered me um That was supposed to conclude about a week ago at this uh, time, about a week ago. Mm -hmm. Um, That hurts. That Mm -hmm. really, really hurts. Mm -hmm. And that's a tradition unlike any other. And now we're going to start a new tradition unlike any other in November, apparently. So that's what we're going to do.
0: The November Masters. Um, Yes. You know, it's, it's still like passable weather at that point in Georgia. So grass should still be in good condition. Not that it's ever in anything other than perfect condition in Augusta, but in any case.
1: It's going to be tough for me to um, have to switch between college football, God willing, and the Masters, and flipping mm-hmm. back and forth between those two things. So that'll be really, really difficult on me, I'm sure.
0: Well, let's talk about that here for a minute. So, Mike, as, as we know, not long after you know all this this whole thing started really blooming um, here in the country a little over a month ago. One of, the, one of the things we found out was that spring football, in all of its uh, forms and fashions, was canceled, uh, not only in the ACC, but really across the NCAA. Um, there were some teams that kind of got to start uh, their spring practice, but for the most part, um, teams were not really able to do much of meaningful uh, spring practice before not only having all that canceled, but then having all the students really sent home and college campuses are closed and all of this. Um and it puts us in an odd position, and let me let me start here. First of all, Mike, you know, in, in your opinion, as you think about it, as we look several months down the road, do you believe, personally believe, not reporting, not, you know, uh, citing anything, do you believe in your heart that there will be some form of college football this fall?
1: I do. I don't know about this fall. Um, Go on. Well, there were rumors that they were talking about potentially a spring college football season, which would be something. Yeah. Um, it's going to come down to whether or not the NCAA wants to play games without fans. Mm-hmm. Because I think by the fall, I think we'll certainly be in a position where we can gather in groups of like
0: Some. 50 to
1: 100, maybe, or something <laughs> like that. I don't think they're Some. really... Yes. I, I don't know what way this is going to turn next with this pandemic. I don't know about any sort of therapeutics that they have coming out, any sort of medication that could come out that could drastically change the worldview. Uh, like we mentioned, you know, six weeks ago. We were making jokes about COVID and whether or not you had it. And now 40,000 people, over 40,000 people have died from it in the country. Mm -hmm. So things change quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, If they have some sort of vaccine, which doesn't sound like it's a year, year and a half away, something like that. If they had something like that, if they had medication to treat it, then we're talking about college football with fans and asses in the seats, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Until that happens, I don't think that we're going to be able to gather and Groups of 60,000 to 100,000 strong across the country, depending on your stadium size. I don't think that's a thing that is something I can envision here in April. Now, do ADs, do, you know, does the NCAA, do individual conferences want to have college football this fall? Of course they do, but they want to have it in all of its glitz and glamour. Do they want to have it with less than full capacity or no capacity and really just the teams on the field and the officials like a high school game (laughs) i mean if they want to do that i think we definitely have it this fall if they're not open to that i'm not sure we have it until the spring i don't think the season gets canceled by any means unless you know shit really hits the fan so to speak but like i it's tough for me to envision a hundred thousand people going to an alabama game this fall Mm -hmm. yeah at at least at this point I, i don't see that happening
0: no, I, I definitely I'm I'm of the opinion that I think in the way of spectator sports, quote unquote, you know, having fans at games, I, I think that is pretty much done for this year. I don't I don't see that happening in football, I don't see it happening in baseball, soccer, pick your sport, you know, I don't think that's happening for the rest of the calendar year. I I've thought about it and I am of the opinion personally, my what I think, I think that there will be college football I think that it will be this fall. Um, if if everybody needs it to be in the spring to feel better about it, you know, that's fine. But to me, it really is about the development of our testing capabilities. Yep. Um, so much of where this whole thing is is turned into such a, a zoo is that we have so little ability to know who does and doesn't have it. Um, and as... The ability to do that has gotten so much better over the past month or so. Um, instead of taking hours or days to get test results back, you're getting them in 15 minutes or whatever. Not to mention that now you see stories about the MLB getting like antibody tests being widely dispersed. You know, the testing capabilities are getting so good so quickly that given another four or five months, I while I don't think there will be fans in the stands, you have a pretty good way of identifying in a finite group of players on your team and coaches and support staff and whatever, does one of them have this? You have a good way of knowing yes or no, and at that point, if none of them have it, I mean, at least we got something to put on TV. You know, you're going to get good ratings and you you get some money going that way. And the, the big thing that I think is that it does come down to the money. Yeah. And as much as it sucks losing ticket sales and concessions and all those things, at the same time it is such a critical part of not only the you know the college football landscape to be able to you know have Power 5 teams supporting Group of 5 teams and Group of 5 supporting FCS and blah 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 blah, blah with all these money games, but also that's like the general college sports landscape. Like Athletics in college at all is driven almost exclusively off of football and to some degree basketball. And if you don't have that, that's a huge, huge wrench in the whole system. And so I I tend to think that the powers that be will find a way to make this work in the fall, maybe in the spring, like you said. But I don't think we're going to completely go without... College football, as is this this fall or this coming school year, we'll say
1: i don't th- I don't think so either. That would be shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I know, so my opinion is i or I know we will have college football. I think it will be in the fall. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely with fans in the stands full capacity if they do it in the spring. So it's really going to come down to whether or not they want to have the full college football experience in let's say, late August through. January, like we usually do, mm-hmm. um, or if they want to pivot and just move it to the spring, which that brings up the whole separate point of okay, what do you do about college basketball then, mm-hmm. and what does that look like? Um, are you playing games without fans there in like October and November and December, and then the heart of conference play when you get to January? Like, what are you doing there on that on that side of the coin? So it's well, then you start uh, working. A lot of in,
0: you start working in the idea that these are. You know, say what you will, but they are quote-unquote student-athletes, and they are enrolled in classes and all this, doing it in the spring would be taking place in a different semester than the fall, which is only important because you have guys that might be ready to graduate in the fall.
1: Or go to the NFL, by the way.
0: Yeah, and how does all of that work? And I, and I don't yeah. worry as much about the NFL part as much as you very much are discussing having players that would have been eligible for the season that now are no longer in classes because they've graduated and are they still eligible for college football if they're not in college? Right. Yep. I don't know. You know, so there's, there's some things that'll have to be worked out, but, um, you know, at some point we, we certainly will have college football again. Worst comes to worst. Yeah. I guess 2020 gets canceled, but I, I think that 2021 for certain, I, I think is back to normal. The the fall of 2021 butts in the seats and, It'll be like nothing ever happened come then, but just a matter of what happens between now and then. In my mind,
1: please don't let me go two years without college football.
0: Absolutely not. Please no. Please no. Um, Mike, I do want to turn this around and actually turn this into a specific ACC football discussion. And, and we we talked about this a little bit. So with spring practice being canceled, I don't. You, you really can't look at this and say that anybody quote unquote wins from this. But at least across the ACC, we can look at this and identify who are the teams that really needed the spring practice more than any, you know, and who who feels it, you know, less than everybody else. Like, it's, it's pretty easy to say Clemson probably feels this as little as anybody, considering their continuity and the talent level and all that. But teams that are feeling this pretty hard, I'd have to think teams like Boston College, you know, changing coaching staffs are feeling it pretty hard. Are are there others that come to mind here? I think Miami changing quarterbacks and offensive systems.
1: Yeah. um, Virginia Tech changing basically 75 to 80% of their defensive staff. Um, There is still some continuity there, but they got a number of new coaches, including a first-year defensive coordinator. NC State, they never really had a quarterback consistently throughout all of last year, Mm -hmm. and we were entering – what you and I felt like was a hot seat situation for Dave Doran. Syracuse just came off of a really disappointing year with quarterback returns that were not all that promising. Um, So can Dino Babers kind of reverse the trend and show that, you know, the season that they had in the 2018, 2019 season was not an aberration. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's, that's a real question mark for me as well. So there are a number of teams in my opinion that I think really really needed spring practice um, on the flip side I, I think teams like Clemson um, a team like North Carolina at least on the offensive side of the ball returning what they were returning with Sam Howell and a young quarterback but even so you can you can flip that coin and make the argument that look Sam Howell really needed the spring practice to kind of you know keep things moving in the right direction he had a really strong freshman year and how do you like build on that strongly going into a sophomore year Ah, uh, to avoid the sophomore slump. Now that everybody has tape on you, so you can you can flip it and make that argument as well. But I think certainly the teams, in my opinion, you know, you mentioned Miami, you mentioned BC changing coaching staffs, um, North Carolina State, Syracuse, Virginia Tech on the defensive side of the ball. Like those are the teams in my mind that stick out and say, oh man, they they really really could have used the spring practice to kind of hash some things out. Duke's changing quarterbacks.
0: Yep. You know, senior fifth year senior Quentin Harris is going to be gone. Um, so they return a grand total of something like you know, 20 passing attempts from last year. Um you know, you think about a team, you know, Georgia Tech is like I think second in the country in returning production. I wouldn't say that they like really benefit from this. They had a bad year and and needed some more time to kind of gel, especially defensively and in a lot of ways, but um, and offensively, honestly. But I think it is at least nice that there is that continuity for them. Um, the, the quarterback situation is probably the biggest thing for them to sort out in the spring that they're not going to have the opportunity to do now. So curious to see how that all works. Um, Florida State with a new
1: coaching staff,
0: by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of talent returning for them, but yeah, totally new coaching staff.
0: UNC with a lot of continuity. They're probably not hit as hard. So... Yep. It's going to affect teams differently, but it's it's also kind of hard to discuss this in a lot of ways because we don't really know what the final trajectory of any of this is. We don't know when they're going to have to play games. We don't know what the preseason practice opportunities are going to look like. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say, but it is clear that there are a few teams that are going through much bigger transitions from 2019 to 2020 than others.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of unpredictability and kind of the future outlook of this whole thing Mm -hmm. that's really hard to gauge at this point. But just kind of scratching the surface, like you mentioned, the the two really easy things to look at that we alluded to with those teams is, okay, did you have like major coaching staff shakeups? Yes or no. And did you have a major quarterback change? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. And that happens to be a lot of teams within the ACC right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think... (sighs) I'm going to be interested to see how this goes with this transition from Jamie Newman to uh, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, yeah, too.
1: Me too. Yeah, me
0: too. And Sam Hartman's a guy who has some starting experience and uh, has plenty of game reps even when he wasn't starting, and so it's how good they are under him may may not really be an issue of continuity as much as personal ability, we'll say.
1: Right. There's familiarity there, at least, which I think is helpful and mm-hmm. will be good for Dave Clawson to have. He knows he has a veteran so to speak (laughs) it's sam hartman they can get under center he started some games he's played big time college football at least for most of one season so you know you know that he's comfortable at least being out there in the line of fire it's just a matter of ability and like you mentioned they were a much different team with jamie newman than they were with sam hartman and with jamie newman now moving on to georgia it'll be interesting to see what kind of sam hartman brings to the table uh, going into next year, especially now that he hasn't really, I mean, he, he redshirted last year. So like, what does this look like now moving forward with a redshirt sophomore, Sam Hartman, with a little bit more experience under his belt?
0: Yep. Yep. Completely. Um, all right, let's move on here. Mike, we got a quick little news update. Uh, we found out on April Fool's Day, and this was actually very serious, but we found it out on April Fool's Day that uh, Anthony Brown from Boston College, he's going to be transferring to Oregon, a spot that we had, previously discussed as a good landing spot for Jamie Newman coming out of Wake Forest uh, and said he goes to Georgia and Anthony Brown is going to go to Oregon. Do you, do you feel like this is a a good move for him? Like this is going to work out for him in his football career?
1: Um, I mean, I think the upside at Oregon is greater than the upside at Boston college. With that being said, I'm not sure that Anthony Brown is the best fit for what Oregon wants to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Anthony Brown's been fine. Like he was fine at Boston College when he was healthy. Um he was actually when you know for for Boston College, he was actually pretty good. Like Boston College has had some bad quarterbacks, Joey. Mm-hmm. Um Really, since Matt Ryan left. Yeah. And they've really been struggling to have a bona fide starter under center who you could look at and say, okay, this guy at least won't throw it to the other team more than 60% of the time. Mm-hmm. And they had that with Anthony Brown. And that's no slight at Anthony Brown. I think he's definitely the best quarterback they've had in a while at BC. Um, but I'm not sure it's the best landing spot for him at Oregon just because Oregon's. Uh, kind of run and gun type offense. And Anthony Brown, while he was successful in what he was doing at Boston College, and I think he added a dimension to Boston College's offense that had been missing for a number of years, I'm not sure he's a true fit for that offense at Oregon. Yeah. And you know, in a lot of ways, I look at this like like Ryan Willis at Virginia Tech. Um when he took over for Josh Jackson two seasons ago, he kind of stepped in, didn't know any better threw the ball really well had a pretty good second half of the 2018 season when tech was really struggling on the defensive side of the football the offense was actually humming along pretty good and and a big reason for that was ryan willis but then last year you noticed that virginia tech wanted to get back to kind of doing what they were doing on offense and willis wasn't really a fit for it and that's kind of what i worry about with anthony brown at oregon whereas like if jamie newman went there he's stepping into kind of a, a spread offense that he in, in a lot of ways, he ran at Wake Forest, mm-hmm. and BC just didn't run a lot of that. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I worry about. It's going to be a new offense for Anthony Brown at, yeah. and Oregon's high flying, a lot of athletes, much better team than Boston College, without a doubt. I just don't know that he's a great fit there, but I'm certainly open to being proven wrong. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. No, I, I
0: agree with that, and it's I. You, like my, my issue was going to be kind of similar with that that scheme at Oregon. And now you could say, well, any offensive coordinator worth their salt is going to be able to change their offense around to match their quarterback and their, their players' skill sets, right? And that's that's a good point. But at the same time, that, that offense is just built around the quarterback being able to throw the ball not only the kind of the mid-range but also down the field and such in a way that I don't think Anthony Brown was as consistent you know, consistently good at it It was not as much built around the quarterback being able to use his mobility. And I think that's where Anthony Brown would tend to prefer, you know, to, to kind of leverage his mobility in, in trying to move the offense down the field versus throwing it. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Anthony Brown, I think would have been a much better fit at Georgia. And I think Jamie Newman would have been a much better fit at Oregon. <laughs> um, I don't know if I agree it... with that. I think, really? Jamie, I think,
0: well, I just think Jamie Newman's a better quarterback,
1: but Well oh, me too. Yeah, I do. Sure.
0: You know, I.
1: Uh, I'm talking like better fit for the quarterback, like uh, systematically. Do I think that the, do I think the returns will be would be better with Anthony Brown at Georgia than they would be with Jamie Newman? Like, no, probably not. But I think just like fit-wise, offensive scheme-wise, for the quarterback, I, I think it's a little bit like Boston College. Like, for better or worse, A.J. Dillon was going to get a lot of carries, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. For better or worse. And Georgia, you know they're going to run the hell out of the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And Anthony Brown's comfortable handing it off. Whereas you go out to Oregon, and mm-hmm. it's, okay, we're going to run it some. We're going to throw it a lot. And we haven't seen Anthony Brown in that mold. And we've seen Jamie Newman in that mold. Yeah. Jamie Newman had games where he's thrown for 500 yards. Sure. We've seen Jamie Newman do that. Okay, so you want to You want to kind of talk about like the familiarity of scheme. Yes.
0: That that I think I agree is that the yes. at least what we've seen to date from Georgia schematically is much closer to what Boston College has been running schematically, and Oregon and Wake Forest is a lot more compatible that way. I, I agree that's, with that completely.
1: That's all I'm getting at. That's it, all I'm getting
0: at. And it felt like that was where a lot of Brown's uh, success came from in the passing game was not line up four wide and just drop back and slang it. It was a lot of play action and one-on-one coverage and those things that Georgia's offense tr- so far recently has been much more tuned to. Now Georgia does have a new offensive coordinator and they're going to be quote unquote, opening it up some more. Um, so who's good with Jamie Newman. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, who knows how much that translates, you know, moving forward. I don't, who knows? I don't know. Um, but I, I, see what you're saying. And I, I agree with that from that perspective of like what we've seen in recent years versus what Anthony Brown's been doing at Boston college. Yeah. The Georgia system would have fit him a lot better. I just, I don't know how much he or they would have thrived there relative to Jamie Newman in a similar situation.
1: Correct. I I agree. I agree with that part too. Jamie Newman's a better quarterback.
0: Yeah, I I think so. Um, yeah, he I, Jamie Newman, and, and for those who haven't heard us say it in a while, I I tend to compare him to, I I think he's like Cam Newton White, you know he's got a big arm, he he's mobile, he he does a lot of things well, even up you know between the tackles, middle of the field, uh, really big frame, so I I think he brings you a lot of potential there. Um, it's just a matter of how refined it is and how tight of a window can you fit a ball in down the field and how good of decisions can you make in the game. So I, that's that's going to be the thing to watch, but that's in the SEC, so it doesn't really matter anymore.
1: That's right. <laughs> we'll keep an eye on it, though. I mean, we're, we talked about Bowling Green. We could talk mm-hmm. about Georgia. We oh, I'm Georgia. curious. I'm curious. Big Georgia sure. guy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Mike, we had a, uh, a bit of a request here just yesterday uh, from our buddy Jeff Greenberg. Uh, and Jeff asked us, when is the basketball conference episode dropping on what's going on in Chapel Hill in recruiting from the point of view of the fans of other ACC and coastal teams? And Mike, what Jeff is referring to is that North Carolina right now, as we stand here on April 19th in the year of our Lord, COVID-19, whatever, um, North Carolina is number two in the country in the recruiting rankings, as it were. Now it, we should start by mentioning that that is largely related to the fact that they have 14 commitments, uh, which is second only to Ohio State's 16 commitments at the moment. Um, so the, the total commitments really plays into this in a, lot, in a large way, but it's also worth noting that of those 14 commitments, 11 of them are four-star recruits, uh, which is a pretty drastic jump from what we were seeing North Carolina do under Larry Fedora in recent years. What is your take on what North Carolina is doing? And I'm not going to suggest anything, but do you feel like it is all 100% kosher or is there something a little, you know, a little something, something, <laughs> a little something, something going on in uh, in Chapel
1: Hill? Joey, Joey won't say it, so I will. Get yourself a good bat, man. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe. You know, hey. I'm just saying. Who's, I'm say? saying. who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? I mean, <laughs> who's, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, who's to say? Keep, keep an eye on that. That's all, that's all we'll say. North Carolina's like been known as... Nobody recruits for free, Mike. That's, that's <laughs> correct. They're, they've always been an upstanding institution. So, you know. <laughs> they've always, uh, you know, kept their grades above board and everything else. Moving so. on. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little bit more seriously. Until, until proven otherwise, this is a really good class. <laughs> um, Okay, in all seriousness, they have 14 commits, 11 four-stars, like you mentioned. A couple things stand out to me here. Number one, the number of recruits that they have in this recruiting class, right? Because, like you mentioned, one of the reasons why, I I mean, you you have the second-ranked recruiting class in the country, so I'm not going to sit here and, you know, throw eggs at it. But a big reason why they are as high as they are in the rankings is because of the sheer number of recruits. Also because of the number of four-stars that they have. Joey, so they have an average recruiting ranking in the 24-7 composite of 91.59. Basically, they have an average across their entire recruiting class of a low- to mid-tier four-star recruit, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you want to do. That's really, really good.
0: And a notable no notable upgrade over what it has been in the last five, six years.
1: It's not even close. I mean, they're, they're in a different stratosphere on the recruiting trail than they've been before. Mm-hmm. And Mac Brown... He brings the luster of a national championship head coach with familiarity with the state of North Carolina From the first time he was there. He's hit the ground running, right? And they have 14 total commits. They have, a, they have 11 four-star recruits committed uh, to the 2021 class. 10 out of those 11 are from the state of North Carolina, and 13 out of the 14 total commitments are from the state of North Carolina as well. Mm-hmm. That's really, really significant to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why that's significant is because there are a number of schools in the ACC that try to recruit North Carolina well, for better or worse. There's Duke, there's NC State, there's Wake Forest, um, and then you think about Virginia Tech, you think about the University of Virginia as well, Clemson. There are a, there's a lot of good football talent in the state of North Carolina that schools in the Coastal Division and the Atlantic Division like to try to pluck out of the state of North Carolina, whether they're an in-state school or an out-of-state school in the ACC, North Carolina is dominating the in-state recruits right now Mm -hmm. who are high-caliber kids that they want to get in the door. They're getting them in the door. And that's extremely significant because North Carolina has not done that in a really, really long time. So how does this change the outlook of... Let's talk about the Coastal. Because in my opinion, Clemson's on another level. Until further notice, nobody's really going to push them. So how does this change the outlook for the Coastal? North Carolina... Even last year with Sam Howell, um, he threw 38 touchdown passes. He had, you know, he was a, a very prestigious recruit who committed to North Carolina, started right away, and he was outstanding. You knew that North Carolina was on the upward trajectory with him at quarterback. That was clear. What North Carolina is doing now is they're recruiting the state well. They're taking bites at the apple now in state that they weren't getting before. because A lot of kids in the state of North Carolina were either going to other schools within the ACC or they were leaving the state. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like a lot of those guys are staying in-state, Joey. Mm-hmm. And this has an impact on a number of schools that I just mentioned. But we talked specifically on this podcast about Virginia Tech a couple of years ago and the success that they were having in the state of North Carolina recruiting. And you think about guys like Hendon Hooker, Dax Holyfield, you know, guys who were starters on both sides of the football for Virginia Tech now, that Virginia Tech was pulling out that state. And, and if and, I
0: may, why that kind of justified not dominating recruiting in the state of Virginia.
1: Which, by the way, Virginia Tech is still not recruiting the state of Virginia well. Now, they are looking good on a couple of, uh, more than a couple, like three to four mid-to-high-end four-star guys in Virginia. They're pulling together a nice recruiting class. Not to a level in North Carolinas, but to date, without anybody who's committed yet in Virginia. Until further notice, Virginia Tech's still not recruiting the state of Virginia well. So what Virginia Tech has had to do is go elsewhere. They're having some success in Texas. Um, They're pulling some guys out of Pennsylvania. Um, They're close on a couple of guys in Florida. So they've had to go elsewhere to recruit instead of just pulling out of the neighboring state of North Carolina, which they had some success doing when Fuente first got to Blacksburg. You think about other schools in the state of North Carolina, Joey, schools like Duke, schools like NC State, schools like Wake Forest, who might be able to snag one or two four-stars Recruiting cycle mm-hmm. out of the state of North Carolina. All of a sudden, all those kids are now going to UNC. So, what do these schools in the ACC do now that UNC is having such strong success in a really good football state of North Carolina for these high school prospects? Going to be really interesting to see. But I think North Carolina, at least in the coastal, they've put themselves in a really good position in a top two to three position in the coastal for the foreseeable future, as long as all these guys sign. And you know what? After Larry Fedora, you'll take that because Mac Brown stepping in, you didn't really know what it was going to look like. Can he relate to these kids? Can he still recruit at a high level? Mm-hmm. You know, can he relate to these young guys? The answer is yes, so far. And yeah. they've got a really successful recruiting class. It looks like it's gonna be one of the best in school history. It's only April. They have the second ranked recruiting class. How much quote unquote worse is it going to get even if they don't finish second? I mean, they're gonna have a top ten class. So mm-hmm. they're looking really good right now. There's no doubt about it. I think it really does impact the coastal and, and some of the schools in the Atlantic Division as well. E- even a school like Clemson, who's recruiting all over the place, they're still going to try to get some kids out of North Carolina. That now UNC is look looks like they're in a strong position to get.
0: Yep, yeah. UNC right now, by the way, within you know North Carolina's prospects uh, committed to UNC in North Carolina are the number two, number five, number six, number ten. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 18 prospects. And, you know, for good measure, 21 and 22. Um, that is a, a dominant effort. And North Carolina is a state that has football talent and and has had football talent for a while. And there's, you know, a number of guys that have not gone to North Carolina or NC State or, you know, anything in the state from North Carolina that have been really good players going to Alabama and Clemson and, Georgia and like you mentioned Virginia Tech and and going all around you know so there is talent to be had in North Carolina and UNC doing a nice job of uh, really establishing a presence there in North Carolina now where does this come from Mike this is a, a noticeable difference from three years ago why is this happening well I'm just guessing it's not because Mac Brown is on TikTok or something like that. Um, I think he was smart about the way that he hired his staff. I think that the uh, the commitment to facilities and uh, infrastructure there has gone up. Um, I think that was part of the Mac Brown hire and part of the, the money being raised to get rid of Larry Fedora was all kind of in that same vein of we want to really invest in our football program. The thing I think that, that makes this interesting is um, over the last call it, I don't know longer than we've been doing this podcast, you know, four, five, six years, who has been the most talented team in the ACC Coastal?
1: Hmm. Miami? Just pure football talent? Miami. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah, Miami in the Coastal. And then I would say what? Over that whole time span, I would probably put Virginia Tech not in that same tier, but kind of next tier down. Yep, I would agree. And then I would probably put about everybody else below that in terms of talent. Everyone. And I think what you're seeing here is at least North Carolina might not even just be jumping up to Vir- Vir- uh, Virginia Tech's tier. They might be jumping up towards Miami's tier. Um, you're going to have a significant upgrade, I think, within a couple of years at Georgia Tech. Um, there's there's kind of starting to become an infusion of talent into this division, again, from at least those two coaching hires that... I think we'll be. We'll, we're going to look back on this in a couple of years and say this is a bit of a renaissance time in the coastal, which has been a bit of a national laughing stock ever since what, like 2016, when Pitt was fantastic and Georgia Tech was awesome and Virginia Tech was awesome, and I mean there was a number of really good teams in the division in 2016, the first year we did this. Yep. And since then, it's been a mess.
1: Yeah, it's probably the best the conference has ever been. Was that year? Um, yeah, probably it was that year. And, you know, we were it, was the best,
0: it was the best conference in the country. And I would stand by that argument for that year.
1: It was. And 2017, it was still pretty good. And since then, the last couple of years, it hasn't been. Mm-hmm. It's really been Clemson and everybody else. And a big reason for that is the Coastal has been a total garbage heap. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech regressed. Miami regressed. Miami had 10 wins a couple of years ago. They yeah. regressed. Like, yeah. there are schools who have taken a clear step back and now you're looking at Miami still recruiting well. Got to put it together on the field, but still recruiting well. They got a good quarterback coming in, Eric King. North Carolina has a, the second-ranked class in the country mm-hmm. for 2021. And 2020's outlook looks pretty good from a foot, pure football talent standpoint on the field. Looks pretty good. Are they Clemson? No, they're not Clemson. Are they Miami or, or Virginia Tech? Like, Yeah, they're in that tier now, mm-hmm. right? They're clearly in that tier. They were in that tier last year, mm-hmm. and now they're definitely in that tier for 2020. 2021 looks really good. Mm-hmm. So they're clearly getting better. Georgia Tech's recruiting. There's not a question that Jeff Collins can recruit. Mm-hmm. You know that that's getting better. Mm-hmm. So, and Virginia Tech, they fired, they, they got rid of a bunch of guys on the defensive staff. Bud Foster retired. They sent some position coaches out the door. They got a young infusion of, of coaches who have clearly been able to recruit here early, and the returns are really good. So, you know, maybe Virginia Tech's recruiting gets on the uptick. It's looking really promising for 2021. So now all of a sudden, like you mentioned, the Coastal Division talent alone looks really, really promising, Joey. Yeah. And this is, uh, like, like you mentioned, you know, for the next few years, the Coastal can all of a sudden be on the upswing. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that one of these teams is all of a sudden going to step up and beat Clemson. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you're going to get some really high-level competitive football. It's not going to be competitive because everybody is bad. Mm -hmm. It's going to be competitive because a lot of teams are really good. Yeah. And now you're talking about three, four, maybe five ACC teams in the top 25 when you consider the talent on the other side of the Mm -hmm. conference with Clemson, obviously. But you look at what Louisville's doing with Satterfield. You look at what Florida State has the potential to do under Norvell because I'm really high on that hire. Um, Wake Forest, I, I don't think they'll be very good in 2020, but I still think that they have enough talent. I think Dave Clausen is a good enough X's and O's football coach that they'll be competitive. So there's still some talent on the other side. I mean, I think you could certainly get three, four, five, six teams in the top 25 with a handful in the top 20, and then all of a sudden you're talking about the ACC like it was in 2016 again, mm-hmm. where, it's one, where it's one of the best conferences in the country football-wise.
0: Yeah, and a couple of teams I think that really should be kind of concerned about this I mean, I would say pretty clearly Duke. Um, Duke and the, the the swoon that they've seen under David Cutcliffe over the last decade or so, it seems like that's starting to come to an end as they are no... It doesn't look like they're any longer going to be on a really competitive level talent-wise with a lot of the division as some of these teams start to separate themselves. I, I worry a little bit about stagnation at Pitt. Me too. You know they've kind of survived and just sort of hung in there, and they've recruited okay. Yeah, it's been fine. It's been fine at Pitt, and they've they've gotten a few guys here and there, and they develop you know fairly well. But you know you've seen the results as they've gone against a mediocre at best division talent wise over the last few years. What does it become when it's you know more of an above average you know talent division? I don't. I, I don't think i would be super uh excited about the future as things currently stand if i if i'm watching Pitt right now
1: yeah i mean pitt's gotta get over the seven and five eight and four type threshold pittsburgh is starting to enter into the into the territory of steve adazio when he was at boston college it's Mm -hmm. like is this team ever going to be better than a seven and five eight and four program i promise
0: i promise i wasn't trying to be a hater talking about the potential of maybe getting rid of Pat Narduzzi a year after they won the division. They won the division mm-hmm. at 7-5, and five, and it was a really uninspired 7-5. It was like it just fell into their laps.
1: It did. I mean, it literally fell into their laps. <laughs> um, they didn't even know they were going to be in the ACC championship until the final week of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it literally fell into their laps. Um, yeah, it was an uninspiring 7-5. and five. It was the worst Coastal we've seen maybe ever. Yeah. Um, that's what it took for Pitt to win the division and uh, yeah, it was rough and it was rough in the ACC championship for them. <laughs> and um, you know, it's just tough to really see Pittsburgh moving forward. They got to get over that threshold. They got to get over the seven or eight win threshold or else to the coastal division of Boston college under Steve Adazio. Absolutely. And that's somewhere you don't want to be. If you're Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's got a, f- a proud football tradition there. there. Um, and, and you know, with Tony Dorsett and the like, and, They've had some success there in the past with the backyard brawl and all the really great old school rivalries they had, and they were playing high level football going against, you know, Pat White, Steve Slayton, and had Dan know,
0: Marino play there. Yeah, Nate Peterman,
1: Nate, Pe- <laughs> Nate Peterman, the God, Nate Peterman, um, yeah, the legend, yeah. Mentioned in the so, same sentence as Dan Marino. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, threw, you threw me way off with that. Um, yeah, anyway, um, th- they have a different football tradition than Boston College. They shouldn't be thrown into that same conversation. But until further notice, they are, and they really need to get over that hump. And is Pat Narducci able to do that? So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not crazy about the, the outlook for Pitt moving forward either.
0: Mike, the other team that I, I look at that I think is a pretty significant loser, not not necessarily just out of North Carolina kind of ramping it up, but also to some degree out of this Georgia Tech coaching hire and kind of their renaissance recruiting in Georgia, is NC State. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's a team that was able to really have the at least had the opportunity to capitalize a lot on nobody in-state owning North Carolina, as well as... Uh, Nobody owning Georgia outside of the top you know, 10 to 15, which was pretty, pretty significantly like Georgia, Alabama, maybe Auburn and Clemson. Um, you know, you, there is still a lot of talent to have been had out of Georgia that NC State was able to capitalize on with, with a, a total void from Georgia Tech's rec- recruiting here a few years ago. It seems like that void is gone, and now all the you know, top talent in the state is being gobbled up by your rival. Uh, it's you know not a uh, not a great situation. It's kind of some bad news bears maybe for uh, for NC State in general, and that's separate from Dave Doran.
1: Yeah, we're going on a I guess going on three years ago this fall when NC State started the season what six or seven and oh? and we were talking about NC State maybe being a dark horse playoff contender out of the ACC. Some people said, hell not yeah, us. I'm
0: sure we had that conversation.
1: We yeah, I mean. <laughs> We didn't think that was going to happen, but some people did. Um, <laughs> but they were they were in that conversation, right? they I mean, you were looking at them, and a lot of national people were hyping them up. And I think you and I kind of knew where this was going to kind of go off the tracks. And it started with that Notre Dame game in South Bend, and then all of a sudden, NC State kind of exposed after that throughout the rest of the season, turned into whatever was eight and four, nine and three type campaign. But that was kind of the turning point for NC State because they really haven't been that good since then, mm-hmm. and. We were talking about, okay, NC State, if they're able to, you know, hit this fork in the road and, you know, come out on the other side, they have the potential to parlay this into a couple of really good recruiting classes and the outlook of the team changes drastically moving forward. Well, I mean, you think about who they had on that team. They had Ryan Finley. They had Bradley Chubb. You know, they had uh, Naheem Hines. They had a lot of really good players on the offensive and defensive sides of the football. And now you look at it, you know, going back in time, it's like, man, this is a team that really could have kind of accelerated and really could have put their foot on the gas pedal turn that into a 10 win season then all of a sudden you get a couple of good recruiting classes and now you're early 2000s nc state with Philip Rivers mm-hmm. and the team looks really really good moving forward they hit the fork in the road they didn't come out well on the other side and now we're talking about dave doran just a couple of years later being on the hot seat potentially losing his job so mm-hmm. it's not looking good for nc state on the recruiting trail or on the football field they don't have a quarterback the coaching hasn't really been great. Last year was really poor. It's it's gone downhill quickly in Raleigh. It has.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's probably another example, kind of similar to what we were talking about with Pitt. Of you, you've kind of benefited from a lot of those around you. You know, you had a little bit of that Forrest Gump scenario, right? Of like, all all the other boats got taken out in the hurricane, and now you're the one shrimp boat out there getting all the shrimp that you couldn't get before, <laughs> like. And it's not that NC state was the little sisters of the poor or anything like that, but like they were able to elevate their program to three wins a year at a time when the rest of the division was just kind of middling around, not really sure what to do, had minimal, uh, you know, consistency or minimal kind of foundation to stand on. Right. And it's pretty clear at this point that they have missed their opportunity to capitalize on it.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. I'm totally with you.
0: Um, yeah, that's that, that's where I'm at, you know, is that I, I think it's going to be interesting in a few years, you know, we're looking at right now a time where Louisville and Florida State are elevating themselves, I think, to not necessarily to Clemson's levels, but they're kind of separating themselves from the Wake Forests and the Boston Colleges and the NC States of the world once again, as we saw back in about 2016 when Lamar was winning the Heisman for Louisville and... Florida State They was, were
1: actually pushing for a playoff spot? Will. Yeah,
0: Florida State yeah. went to the Orange Bowl and all this stuff. Like They were really good programs. They were able to separate themselves from the rest of the division. In the same way, I kind of think, and at least we're, we're definitely seeing it with North Carolina, I'm going to throw Georgia Tech in a little bit wishfully. We haven't seen it on the field, but we're seeing a marked improvement on the recruiting trail at the yeah, very recruiting's least.
1: Yeah, been, recruiting's been good. Yeah. Recruiting's been good, Georgia Tech,
0: yep. So your seven coastal teams, you're seeing North Carolina and Georgia tech join Virginia tech and Miami separating themselves from Pitt, Duke and who am I forgetting? Virginia. And yep. I think Virginia and Pitt I would probably look at in the same way of more talent than Duke. Um, Virginia obviously just had a really good season. I'd, I want to see what this looks like, you know, over several years. And it doesn't seem like they're completely recruiting the lights out, but they're developing guys and all this. Can you can you do it
1: more than once? I want to see that. Right. Right. Is Brandon Armstrong the second coming of Christ? Depends on who you ask, Mike. Right. I mean, look, (laughs) some of the people that review
0: our podcast on iTunes. Yeah, he is.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, Is he a second coming of Christ? Are you looking for a new religion during (laughs) COVID-19? Look no further than Virginia football. He's got really good hair. Yeah, he's he's got he's got really good hair and he can throw it really far. Um, so, yeah, first letter of John. Um, so yeah, so like, can Virginia really parlay that like that really good season they just had and and a two year span there with Bryce Perkins? Can they now start to make inroads on the recruiting trail? We've seen it a little bit. Like they've been yeah. recruiting well for Virginia. And Bronco Mendenhall, more than anything else, has been one of the best coaches in the conference, Mm -hmm. period, the last two to three years. yeah, Um, He's really turned the corner from what you and I thought when this whole thing first started. Mm -hmm. We're like, man, that's a – Bronco Mendenhall to UVA. That's a really weird hire. Like, he's living in a bus right now. Um, He he can't find a house in Virginia yet, and he's already on the recruiting trail for UVA. That's Mm -hmm. really weird. Those are the conversations we were having in year one, Joey. We were Mm -hmm. like, this – this guy hasn't even moved in yet. Like, he's trying to figure out how to recruit Virginia. It's not going all that well. Oh, yeah. and by the way, Mike London was a complete and total catastrophe as a head coach at UVA. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot of talent on the roster. Oh, I only have, like, what, 12 or 13 ACC players? That was an actual quote, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, from Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah. They've come a long way since then. So as bad coaching as,
0: well. As bad as Mike London was, was it him that took him to the Chick-fil-A Bowl that one year?
1: Yes, it was, and you know what? Recruiting actually really wasn't all that bad under Mike London. It like, really he wasn't. recruited okay. He couldn't coach worth anything. But so so you're saying
0: any given year it could happen for Virginia, but not necessarily over a long term. Well, look, the coaching's better now. <laughs> you're saying I said that, not you, right? <laughs> of course.
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, here's here's what I think of some of the. I think you're watching four programs in the ACC, and it's Louisville, Florida State, UNC, and Georgia Tech are elevating themselves, I believe, um, as you've started to see in various forms and fashions over the past year. They're going to start elevating themselves, and I think what you're going to have is, even though Clemson is almost certainly, like, I I think I I messaged this to you, the next time that Clemson loses the conference, doesn't win the conference, like, I don't know, is that the rapture? Like what? Like I, <laughs> is this the <a> rapture? <laughs> to me, everyone else is playing for second, and that's fine. Like just it is right. what it is. Clemson's clearly on a different plane than everybody else is right now. But the thing is that on that next tier down of like legitimate good teams, if you're talking about seven programs there, talking about Miami, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Louisville, and I think that might have only been six, but anyways, like if, if you've got a half dozen teams on that next plane down, you're doing pretty well as a conference, and that, that you are. and that's an improvement, really, from what we've seen the last two three years, where a lot more of them have been in that like average nationally at best teams as you look at SP plus rankings and things like that. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, since 2016, I mean, we've been looking at Clemson, and it's like, okay, preseason, let's look at the schedule for Clemson. Okay, they're Probably going to go twelve and zero, but that's not even the conversation we're having. It's mm-hmm. oh okay, okay. How many of these games on the schedule are they going to be less than a two touchdown favorite in? Yeah, and now I think moving forward it might be like oh okay, they'll be like a nine point favorite here. They'll be an eight and a half point favorite here. Like they're a clear step above everybody else, and it'll be reflected both in betting spreads and just you look at the talent on the field, and it'll be clear. Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting to the point now or at least we're going to get to the point within the next few years, at least with the recruiting returns we've seen kind of across the conference here and just the talent already on the field and on these rosters and the coaching staffs in place now where, like you mentioned, we're going to have a quote unquote middle class in the ACC that's going to actually be pretty good. Mm -hmm. and. It's going. there's going to be a number of teams who are going to be vying for 8, 9, or 10 wins. And I think if we get to that point, we're talking about the ACC in a completely different light. More like we talked about them in 2016 than we've talked about them here in the last couple of years, where it's like, okay, Clemson's light years ahead of everybody else. How many other teams are going to make a bowl game? How mm-hmm. many other teams are going to finish the season ranked? Mm-hmm. Like, Are there going to be um, more 8-win teams or more teams missing a bowl game? Like, those are the conversations we have been having, and I think we're going to get further away from that and more into, like, okay, it's week seven. Um, UNC is playing Virginia Tech, um, you know, in Chapel Hill. Is this a college game day game? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about for 2020. I'm talking, like, maybe 2021. You have, you know, Sam Howell and, and Hendon Hooker in the fold as two veteran quarterbacks with two really good rosters and two really good coaching staffs and teams, et cetera. It's like, okay, now is this a college game day game? Mm -hmm. Like we haven't had those conversations in a long time in the ACC and maybe we get to that point here sometime soon.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that's where we're at. And one, one last little thing I wanted to bring up on this podcast and it's, it's kind of an offshoot of this discussion we've been having. Uh, We have divisional odds in the ACC that were posted here in the last week or so. Um, you will not be remotely surprised to find out that Clemson is a 1-15 to favorite to win the Atlantic Division.
1: They're still really good guys, by the way.
0: And if you want Louisville or Florida State, you're not really getting any better than 14-1. to And that's you probably need at least double that to, to put that yeah. money down. Yeah, so I agree. That I, I'm not really interested in talking about the Atlantic. As we mentioned, that's kind of a foregone conclusion. What I am interested in is talking about the Coastal, Mike.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I want to run through these real quick, just one by one. You tell me: Are you interested in this team at this number? Yep. Odds to win the Coastal Division in 2020. Number one, the favorite, Miami, two to one. Nope. No. No, I agree. Nope. Changing quarterbacks, changing offenses. Good amount of turnover on defense. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of reason to think that they are definitively the favorite here. Those are those are too short for me. Yep. North Carolina five to two, yep. That's still a little short for a team that was six and six last year. Now you could easily say that all of their losses were by like yep. six points or less.
1: One score, a lot of one score games in there.
0: Yeah, um, really
1: good quarterback coming back. Can he avoid a sophomore slump? Mm-hmm. And the only reason I say that I, I think Sam Howell is going to be really good next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and all eight, like first team all eight. Well, there's Trevor Lawrence, so maybe second team all ACC. Mm-hmm. But um, I, like really, really good. I just you know, there's tape on him now, which matters in year two. He's got he's got a good coaching staff though, so he should be fine. But that's yeah. kind of the argument against North Carolina. They're going to be better than they were last year for sure.
0: Yeah, I, in my opinion, I, I don't know. I, I think I would have listed North Carolina as the favorite to win the division, but at five to two, that's still a little short for me. Plus two fifty, like I, I need a little more than that. I think to make sure. that bet. Um, likewise, Virginia Tech five to two.
1: I'm also interested in that. Only because Virginia Tech and North Carolina, they both have a good amount. I, I kind of speak about them both in the same light. Virginia Tech and North Carolina both have a lot of talent returning. Virginia Tech's certainly more talent on defense returning than North Carolina, but you look at North Carolina's offense, what they have coming back. Um, Virginia Tech's a little thin at wide receiver. North Carolina's got Sam Howell, which, I mean, Hendon Hooker's good, and I, I, I'll i stand by Hendon Hooker. I think he's really good. Hendon Hooker stand over here. Yeah, Hendon Hooker, Stan, Virginia Tech, along. <laughs> um, but uh, Sam, I, I would take Sam Howell over Hendon Hooker. I think he's a better quarterback. Um, but like they just played a six overtime game in Blacksburg. It's a coin flip. And if you're going to give them both at five to two, I great. But sign me up for both.
0: Yeah. How many different times could that game have gone the other way or ended the same way but earlier? Yeah. I mean that was a that was a wild game. I remember Total watching cluster. that.
1: Total blaster total cluster
0: yeah completely um yeah I, I mean i think it's pretty clear there's a there's a first tier here uh miami at two to one north carolina and virginia tech both at two and a half to one like i i, I just my issue is that between those three teams and there's a reason that all three of them aren't three to one vegas knows what they're doing um, right <laughs> right but any one of those teams i feel like the odds are kind of short on and i just i would not in good faith put my money on any of them the team right. I, I think I would be interested in here, Mike, Pittsburgh at 10-1. to 1.
1: Yes, so you and I were t- – I was waiting for you to get this because you and I were DMing about this about a week ago, kind of going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And this was a team that I was interested in as well at 10-1. to 1. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is if you have crap hitting the fan, Miami's not really very good, Virginia Tech and North Carolina kind of split the vote, so to speak. If it's just
0: what? one of those years in the Coastal, which it only comes about once every so often, but one right. of those years <laughs> – <What?
1: laughs> Once every so often, or three out of every four times. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can Pittsburgh be the team that emerges from that with a veteran quarterback? I'm not saying he's good, but a veteran quarterback in Kenny Pickett and a defense that sort of found their footing a little bit at times last year. Like, maybe that's the team out of everybody else that kind of rises to the occasion. And, oh, wow, they have Virginia Tech at home this year. That's weird. Virginia Tech never plays well at Heinz Field. Mm -hmm. Oh, what? They just upset North Carolina? Oh, they usually beat miami anyway because miami's total ass by the time you get to (laughs) pit on the schedule right so like maybe pits the team and at 10 to 1 joey with a i don't want to call it a wide open coastal because i do think miami virginia tech and north carolina are kind of a full half step half step above but if everything were to hit the fan at 10 to 1 why wouldn't you take pit that's actually Mm -hmm. my favorite bet out of the entire coastal
0: yeah i think that's I, i would take my chances with that one um yep. I, I don't think that there is that drastic of a gap between Pittsburgh and the other three um right.
1: that's a, not that's enough a, to be that bad, not yeah. enough to be that long on the odds
0: yeah, no, that's a good number uh Virginia at ten to one not interested hard no hard no that
1: not not without Perkins,
0: yeah, no, I think this is a huge transition year um I have no idea what this team is going to look like without Bryce Perkins. Not to mention multiple top receivers and all that. I mean, it's a total turnover on offense and such. No, not at 10-1, to 1, no. No. Uh, Duke at 14-1. to 1. No. No. I, I don't know how interested I am really in betting Duke at any reasonable number for the foreseeable future.
1: Nope. They got a good coach in Cutcliffe. Um, there's a talent deficiency. And I don't think Cutcliffe cares about that because he knows he can get to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. So I... He's at the point in his career too it's about molding young minds. Yeah. And I'm not trying to crap all over his coaching ability because I think he's a really good football coach. I just there's a clear talent gap there with Duke so I'm not interested either.
0: I think their window closed when Daniel Jones left.
1: I would agree. I would agree. And when they rolled the dice with Quentin Harris even when it wasn't working.
0: Hey. I will always respect them for running the triple option
1: against Alabama. I love it. It's a <laughs> it was creative um something y- you gotta try something that was over when it was scheduled mm-hmm.
0: yeah last but not least my certain well in a way certainly least but also last uh georgia tech at 100 to 1 uh no like i'm wondering if that's a typo because by the way yeah yeah let me bet georgia tech at 100 to 1 to win the division absolutely Year two, get some continuity going, get a little bit more talent infused with some transfers that are going to be eligible and blah, 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 blah. 100 to 1? Yeah. I love the the optimism. Like, I would almost bet 100 to 1 on somebody that's not in the division to win it. Like,
1: (laughs) at least they get to play the other six teams. Like, That's true. And there's no guarantee that any of them will actually be any good. Yeah. Yeah. There's also also no guarantee that Georgia Tech will be any good. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. There's not.
0: (laughs) But if I can bet ten dollars to win a hundred, or uh, excuse me, ten ten dollars to win a thousand, there it is. Yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put a lottery ticket in on that. Like, do I think that's going to happen? No, not at all. But do I think it happens more than one out of a hundred times?
1: Yeah. It's I, April nineteenth. Who do you think finishes last in the ACC Coastal? Uh, I have my answer
0: it's probably Georgia Tech. They got a pretty brutal schedule.
1: Uh, my answer is Duke.
0: Yeah, I was pretty tempted between those two. Yeah, Georgia Tech gets Syracuse in the in the uh, conference crossover game, which is an interesting proposition for uh, for this coming year. We'll have to see how that goes, but yeah, I don't I don't really know what Georgia Tech looks like in year two and it could go in a lot of different directions of marginal improvement to significant step forward. You know, I don't really know.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, just throwing it up against the wall. I think either Virginia tech or North Carolina wins a division. I think Miami is a distant third. That's going to piss off a lot of Miami fans, but until you prove it with the coaching staff and look to air Kings, good. Mm-hmm. But until you prove it with the coaching staff, I can't trust you. I've trusted you too often, Miami. And I, I've <laughs> you've also. You've hurt me too many times. You've hurt me too many times. I've also crapped all over you plenty. And <laughs> nobody's immune, even Virginia Tech. Mm-mm. And for our loyal listeners by now, everybody should know that nobody is immune. I will crap over anybody. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's just kind of how it works. But I think Virginia Tech and North Carolina are it's relatively interchangeable. And then I think Miami is a distant third. And then after that, I think all hell breaks loose. I think you could see I think you could see Pitt jump up like we just mentioned. Outside of that, between Duke, Virginia, and Georgia Tech, I think the bottom of the division is a total cluster.
0: Snowball's chance in hell that any of those three teams win the division.
1: I would take probably I would probably take even though I just I just placed them last, if you're giving me any of those three teams to actually like win the division, thirty to one, I would say Duke because of Cutcliffe. Hmm. But at the same time, I look at their talent. and I'm like, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I think yeah. they finished last. I think Georgia Tech's actually going to be better. Um, I like a hundred
0: looks like a typo on there. Like it does as much as they were bad last year and. You know they've got a rough schedule, and you don't necessarily know how much better they're gonna be this year. A hundred to one is awfully steep for any team to win any division as long as they're playing like the same
1: sport like <laughs> i yeah, I don't think they're that much worse than everybody else. I mean, they were bad last year on offense, but the defense showed some signs, and Collins isn't helpless, and they're recruiting well mm-hmm. um they gotta be better <laughs> like yeah reasonably speaking and i'm not saying like they got to be better or collins loses this job or something i, I don't yeah. think that um just because of what they're coming from and the total culture shift and and scheme change and everything else mm-hmm. but like reasonably speaking they have to be better yeah um so i don't know we'll see
0: uh, the only thing is i'm going to add here and it'll we'll be done here is I, i'm not convinced that pittsburgh is completely separate from those other three teams at the top like, I, I, I'll, it's kind of reiterating what I said before, is I am not convinced that that is a justified jump from plus 250 to plus 1,000 to go from those top three teams to Pittsburgh. Like, I, relative to the other three teams, I think they're closer than that, is all I'm saying.
1: They're certainly in the... Um, it's it's kind of unfair, too, um, because we just came off of a year where um, Miami was bad virginia tech and north carolina were okay but they were just just okay and then virginia kind of came out of like nowhere so to speak i mean they were favored to win the division in a lot of outlets and they won the division but they stepped up in a year where kind of nobody else would and they won the division and then lost by six touchdowns in the conference championship game it's just one of those things where like Can Pittsburgh be in that class of Miami, Virginia Tech, North Carolina from last year? Yes, they can. I just think given what the other teams have returning and the youth and everything else and like Pittsburgh, you just can never really trust them. I think they're more in that Miami range than maybe that Virginia Tech, North Carolina range.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Yep. All right, Mike. That's all I got. It's only been uh, six weeks and we went another hour just as we expected. Uh, Yeah. Anything else you wanted to hit on here?
1: I don't think so. I think this was good. I think we covered about six weeks worth of content in an hour, um, at least as much as we could, yeah. given everything going on in the world right now, and the la- total lack of spring practices and everything else. Virginia Tech spring game was supposed to be yesterday. I was supposed to be there. It didn't happen, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no college football for a long time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we have it this fall. We'll see what happens.
0: Yep. Yeah, and we'll keep people updated. We're going to keep doing this podcast the offseason and... I promise that going six weeks without a recording was not on purpose. Um, it was not. It was, uh, we've been really busy moving from one room of our house to the other. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's yeah. tough like this, you know, to get together and record this. Now we got to do this over like a Zoom call now, whereas before we were doing it on a. Never mind. Never mind.
1: Yes. It's actually, um, exactly the same as it was before. <laughs> so, um, we really have no excuses. Um, we just went six weeks without recording like we said we wouldn't do. But yep. we won't do it again Yeah, until Promise. six weeks from now when hopefully the world's in a better place. We'll try to record in a couple weeks. Yep. I, I don't think you'll be going six weeks again. I,
0: I, I tell you what, Mike. I'm going to go to the store and get a pack of cigarettes real quick. And when I get back, we'll record again. How's that?
1: That's good. And you are <laughs> not a smoker. So <laughs> that's kind of where we're at.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've learned some tricks now that I'm a dad, so you could say that. Uh, but anyways. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, Mike, let's get out of here and, and uh, come back and record sometime in less than six weeks. How about that?
1: Yes, for sure.
0: All right. Well, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRSJoey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And by the way, did you hear me tiptoe through that one? You did. Good job. Thank you. Thank you uh you can send us your questions comments concerns to the longest email address no demand basketball conference podcast at gmail.com
1: it's like riding a bike
0: it is that that email address has been oddly quiet lately i feel like there's people starving for content here if you if you want us to talk about
1: something hit us up brian smith so anything to uh, sup anything to say about our takes on uva I'll, I'll stand by him but you know i'll have that argument
0: by yeah. the way we're not above doing like a live show, having people call in, something like that. We gotta figure out the technology around it, but we'll take questions and, and have that discussion. I'm completely in for that. We gotta do something this off season.
1: If Mark Rogers can do it, so can no I'm just kidding. Oh hell yeah. He's he's a very smart guy. Our mentor um, and our and our mentor, and the whole reason why Joey and I are doing this podcast is because that, of Mark Rogers. That is correct. So, shout out Mark. I'm not even sure we've ever had him on, which we may have to do at some point. Yeah. He's a big reason this is even happening. He is. Um, but anyway. Anyways. Yeah. Um, Facebook. Yeah, tell us where they can find us on social medias. Facebook. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference Rate Review. Find all of our podcasts there. And when we, when you drop a review about us, tell us about your team. And then tell us about the takes you like and hate that we give about your team.
0: Yeah, how correct or incorrect we are about your team. Right. We'd love to hear or that.
1: Just, yeah, or just irrational. That's right. Right.
0: Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all those good places. Uh, and most importantly, on the Anchor app. Please do. Go find us there. And I think that's it.
1: That's it. We went out of order with the Facebook thing.
0: I don't remember how to get off the bike. I just remember how to like get it moving and start riding it down the street. But
1: It's like Forrest Gump with his legs.
0: Yeah, the dismount was not was not pretty here. It's okay. That's it's all quite right. All, right.
1: all right. It's been six weeks
0: uh mike you take care of yourself stay indoors everybody here stay indoors and uh we'll 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 get through this
1: we'll come out on the other side here soon yeah there'll be football sometime some way we'll be here as we are now and we will continue to be yep live show maybe sometime hell
0: yeah we gotta do that yeah like a -a phone-a-thon or something like that
1: yeah all the money goes
0: to charity of course of course the basketball conference charity. <laughs> we gotta pay for this thing somehow. We gotta pay. <laughs> we gotta pay for Charlie's college. Keep the lights on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Send my kid to college. All that. Yeah, we don't make money off this. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mike. We'll talk soon. Yep. All right, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel. I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe. Stay indoors. Stay away from each other. Thank you to those on the front line who are kicking ass right now. Uh, Please keep doing so, and we hope to see some college football this fall. But in the meantime, either way, we will come back, record some more episodes, and until next time, go ACC.